It's great to see you all here this morning. And I know uh, there are a few joining us live stream, probably not many joining us live stream this morning, because I know it has been difficult to have access to be able to be able to stream or really see anything that's going on. I was telling somebody earlier, I really have no idea what's going on. I only know what's going on in my home. I don't know anything else in Louisiana much. I don't know much in the nation because I can't find any news. I can't access on my phone. I can't do the things you think you usually get to do. But I am grateful to see you all and grateful that we could come to worship in some way. And there are a lot of people, again, that are going through some tough days. Uh, we certainly know in our own communities the difficulties that we face. What a punch we got, huh? Thursday. I thought I moved away from South Louisiana so I wouldn't get punched like that. But here in North Louisiana, who would have believed that a Category 1 would have moved in this area and caused such damage? And we do have some of our church folks who continue to experience some difficulty with trees down on their homes. And I'm grateful, as always, the people of Ruston, the people of Lincoln Parish, the people of Temple, they always respond so well to these times. And we've had people, we've had groups, staff, and others, uh, lay leadership, see some of them who are here today, they've been out, they've been trying to help out, cut trees and do what they could, uh, as much as we could. There's a limitation. You know if I'm involved, there's a limitation. So there's a limitation on what we can do, and we want to pray for those who are waiting for others to come in and to help. So we want to continue to do that and encourage one another, encourage our church folks and community. And again, not just our families, but we know that the community has stepped up just like they did in the time of the tornado, just as they have in other moments where they have helped neighbor out. And that is a grateful thing that we, that we have in our lives. And we want to also pray for, I think, all of the emergency response folks. We want to pray for those who are trying to restore electricity and lift them up today and then of course our friends in the south i say i have not really heard much news but i do know that it was devastating even south of us central part of louisiana and even down to lake charles there are those who are hurting this morning and i think we ought to stop and we ought to pray for our communities but also the communities to the south of us and just ask god to show his grace today. So could we do that? Let's stop together as a family of God and let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we did uh, receive a punch. But God, I am grateful you give us the strength to get back up. And God, it is only through your grace that we can face any difficulty that comes in our lives. And God, it has been your grace to our communities, to our lives the last few days that we've been able to come to this point. And Father, we do pray first for our emergency response folks. As they're out even now working, we pray for those who are trying to restore power and water in different areas. And God, I pray that you'd give them insight and wisdom and strength and that you would protect them even through these moments. And Father, I pray for not only the emergency response, but those on the other end. Lord, those who are going through difficulty right now they may have to be in a hotel because their home has been damaged or maybe they're living without power right now whatever else God I pray that you would touch their lives here in our community but God we pray for our brothers and sisters who are south of here whether it be in Winfield or Alexandria or Lake Charles father I pray that you would just show them 
extra strength, extra peace, and that you would take care of them this day. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word in a moment, that you will encourage us to remind us that you are the great God that we need. And Father, that is what we long for, what we hope to see as we go through these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to encourage you this morning to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the 90th Psalm. The 90th Psalm. I know the last few weeks we've been working through the life of Moses. I had planned on coming and talking about the commandments today. I was going to cover all 10 of those. Well, you note the crowd we have, which is kind of sparse. It would have been, it's partly because they thought I was going to cover all 10 commandments, okay? I understand that. We're going to look at that. I'm going to look at those commandments hopefully next week as we talk about a framework for a godly culture. But it seemed today to be a little more prudent to look maybe Psalm 90. Now, Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. That's what we're told in the title. As you look up there, it says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And remember when you look at those little subtitles? Those little subtitles are actually in the Hebrew text. As a matter of fact, that would like be verse 1. Our English text starts, with verse 1 in, Lord, you have been our dwelling. But most of the time, those subtitles, they are actually in the Hebrew. So in other words, this is not what somebody just thought. This is what was placed there by the writer of Scripture. So if this is the case, and I believe it is, this is the oldest psalm we have of the 150 psalms in our collection. And Moses gives this song, and he actually sings. I kind of like that. I've been challenged by that in years past. There's Moses, the man of God, and it's okay to sing. I like to preach. Now, I tell Jeremy oftentimes uh, that it's fine to be a singing preacher but not a preaching singer. Let that sink in just a minute. It's good to be a singing preacher but not a preaching singer. Not that he does that. He never does it. He leads us or so. But it's fine to be a singing preacher because Moses was a singing preacher. There were actually three songs that I see recorded in Scripture that he sang. And this is a psalm, a song, or a prayer as it is given to us that hopefully will inform our thoughts. Now, thankfully, because this service looks a little different and we only did three hymns, that means I've got the next 45 minutes to an hour to preach to you all today. See, I'm proud of you. I am grateful some of you said, I came to this because I was going to march through, I've melt, and now I'm going to have to listen to 40. No, we're going to look at the 90th Psalm, but I'll just, I really want to just give you some, some basic thoughts about it. And I really want to just simplify it for us today because I really believe we need to hear this. Because when I look at Moses and I look at this Psalm, this is a Psalm of what some would say a lament. In some ways, you see the goodness and the graciousness of God, but also you see Moses dealing with humanity's weakness and frailty. But then you also see Moses crying out to God and say, God, we need you. We need you. So let's begin today by looking at this 90th Psalm. There in verse 1, look at the first two verses. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Notice how Moses just puts it out there. 
he's beginning this song, he's praying, and he says, God, you are great. God, you are great. What a confession. And my friends, when we go through some of the most difficult days in our lives, that confession can transform who we are. I'm talking about when things look bleak, when things are bad, just coming to God and saying, okay, God, in the midst of all this, in the midst of the difficulty, God, we know you are great. The confession itself somehow transforms our lives. It transforms our spirit. It transforms our soul to say, God, we know that in the midst of it all, you are still a good one. You are still the great one. You are from the everlasting to the everlasting. There is none like you. And you are our dwelling place. Some translations will say our refuge for all generations. He is a great refuge for us. Now that word refuge can refer to like a den or a cave in which animals will flee for shelter. It's kind of like the idea that the fox would come back to the den to escape any type of predator, to, to find safety in some way. So get this again. God is the one that we can flee to. He is the refuge. He is the dwelling place. He is our safe place. We hear people talk about safe places all the time. God is your safe place. God is the place where you will find true refuge. So this last week, I was reminded about even growing up in North Mississippi. In North Mississippi, they have storm houses. That's what we would call them. Storm houses that dot the landscape. They are everywhere. I remember when we would move from time to time with my parents, they would make sure that we had a storm house available to us. Now, usually what they would do is that they would like have a hill or something, because North Mississippi and its geography, or terrain, I should say, is very similar to like North Louisiana. I think that's one of the reasons I have such an affection for these piney woods up here, is because it reminds me of North Mississippi. Leslie and I were driving up for the very first time. Understand, before she came up here the very first time to Ruston to meet with a committee, she had never been north of St. Francisville in the state of Louisiana. And I had told her, it's a lot different up there. It's a lot different in a whole lot of ways. The terrain, the culture, it's going to be different, okay? And you're going to think it's North Mississippi. Well, North Mississippi, we would have those hills, and they would, they would build these storm houses, these storm shelters, a lot of times in the hills. Or maybe it would be almost like a cellar-like uh, house that you could get into. And my parents always had one. When they moved to the present house, they built a small little house for their retirement years. And they were like, we don't have a storm house. What are we going to do? I said, it would be all right. It would be all right. And they said, no, no, no. we got to have a storm house. They went and they bought this shelter in the back. It's as big as the house itself. It actually sits in the back, and somehow it's not, I don't know. All I know is I'll call my dad from time to time and say, how you doing? He'll say, oh, I'm fine. I'm out in Stormhouse. Stormhouse? Is it raining? No, but I had to get away from your mama. But he had to. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes. But I remember when I was younger, and every time it thundered outside, even in the middle of the night, they would jerk me out of bed, and they would take me to the Stormhouse. We, it was actually out in our pastures, so you would have to cross the little fence and get there. I remember as a young child thinking, why are we going to the storm house? 
we'd get down, it would be dark. My parents would have lamps and lanterns and stuff, and they would set it up, and it had a little white rock bottom in it, and we would sit on like a little bench in that storm house. One night, it was still vivid in my mind, I looked over, and I saw where like a snake had shed. Of course, over here, there were all kinds of spiders that were working their ways. And I remember saying, Daddy, we're getting away from the storm. We're going to get killed by the snake, the spiders. Look what's going on. But we would go to the storm house. My mother came and visited me one time in South Louisiana. She looked around. She said, Reggie, where's your storm house? I said, storm house? She said, where's your storm house? I said, Mama, we don't have storm houses in South Louisiana. If you go down, you will drown. South Louisiana, you got to go up. You got to find some other shelter. You don't go down. Oh, a storm house. A place you could run to. I'm going to tell you, though, about last Thursday, when I saw those big pines in my front yard beginning to sway, I was thinking, man, I wish my daddy and mama was here. I wish they were here to take me to the storm house. When I saw one of those pines go down in the front, I thought again, God just protect me. Because I'm going to tell you again what Moses says. Moses says, God is our storm house. God is our refuge. God is the place where we can find true safety. No matter what's going on in our lives, God is there and he is the one who can take care of us. That's the reason God is so great. That's the reason he's so great. I grieve with those in South Louisiana and beyond who have lost family members. I grieve with First Baptist Iota, which you may have seen lost its pastor because of Hurricane Laura. I grieve with those individuals. But I also know, especially in his case, <laughs> that God was his ultimate refuge. And that even though his life was shorter here, he is now before the presence of God, the true refuge. And my friends, you and I, we have refuge, and he has been very good to us and gracious to us, even with the loss of property and all the other things that have gone on. How blessed we are to be able to be here this morning, or if you're watching live stream, how blessed you are, because God is our refuge. He is our dwelling place for all generations. That means he's not just the refuge for me, but he was the refuge for my parents. He was the refuge and will be the refuge for my kids. Because it's for all generations. And Moses knew that. Moses was in this succession of line where he had, they had come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what God was doing in the nation to build this new nation. He knew that God had been there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. But God was going to be with David and Solomon and many others who would come after. Because he was the refuge for all generations. You see, he wasn't just my parents' God, he was, he's my God, and he's hopefully my children's God, and the generations that will come afterwards. And I say to you that we must proclaim him as the refuge and say, he is the place where all generations need to run. He's the, he's the answer for all. Well, he's a great God. He's a great refuge, and it says here that he is the great creator who is... From everlasting to everlasting. Do you get that? Before this world was ever formed, God. In the beginning, God. You can almost just stop there. Because it means that God 
He has always existed. He is the everlasting one. Nothing birthed him. He is the self-existent great being of the universe that controls everything. And he is the creator of all things. He is from everlasting to everlasting. So while things here are temporary, and we're going to look at that in a moment, God is everlasting. Even in the way he looks at time, in verse 4 it says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Sounds like Peter in the New Testament, does it not? When Peter says, like a thousand years is a day, a thousand days like... I mean, you're, you're thinking that for God, he's looking and it's, it, it's not like he's caught in the temporal, in the now. God is everlasting. He is the great God. So we proclaim that. Moses says he is a great God. So this morning, collectively, hopefully we say God is great. But then when you look at verses 3 through 12, you get a second truth. And this is that truth. We are not. Just to put it that way, we are not. We as individuals, we as humanity, we are not that great. God is great, but we are not. So look at it again in verses 3 through 12. Read it through with me. It says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Again, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger. and By your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before us or before you. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For is the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So Moses says, God, you're great, but we're not. Now, I believe this was toward the end of Moses' life. I believe he was up in years. And how long did Moses live? 120 years, right? 40, 40, 40, the way you look at his life. 120 years. 120 years he lived. Not many people get to see that. People like Dwight Anderson maybe, but not most of us. We don't see that. 120 years. And he says in the midst of it, he says as he looks back on life, he said, life is so short. It is so temporal. It is so transitional. Did you get what he says? It's almost like the grass in the Middle Eastern climate. It may be green in the morning. It may look nice. And it may even grow some. But by the evening, as it is scorched by that Middle Eastern sun, it, it fades away. And it is lifeless. He says, that's the way we are. Well, you, 
you know, like especially even in the, let me just say this, in the southern heat, you can see those plants like wilt just very quickly. Can you not? Uh, we have prided ourselves on being able to raise some basil. If you need any basil, stop by the house. Love basil. We bought some basil on clearance at Lowe's. We brought it home. We nursed it just a little bit. I'm telling you, it can make some margarita pizzas. I don't know if I'm supposed to say margarita, but it's margarita pizzas. Some wonderful things. Like we had nursed it while we were gone. We were concerned about it. We told our neighbor, Miss Billy Nelson, which Miss Billy's got the greenest thumb in Ruston, I think. She came over and she watched after it. We got back and we were trying to watch after it, but we gave it about two like summer afternoons and we walked out and it looked like it was gone. Now, I believe in the power of prayer and I did pray that God would give it more energy and strength because I just wanted a couple more of those pizzas before the summer was over and we watered it a little bit and we brought it back to life not near what it was but we kind of I mean the sun can just and that's the analogy that the that Moses uses here he says it's like the grass is green in the morning and boom it, by the afternoon evening is gone and that's what our life is like he said our life is so temporary what did James say about it James says, life is but a vapor which appears for just a little while and then hmm, vanishes away. You, take, you could take it on the other side. Let's say when it gets cold in Louisiana, like two days a year, you might be able to see your voice, your, uh, you, you can see your breath when you speak, and then it's away. And James said, that's the way life is. It's here for just a little while, boom, it's gone. And he says, you may get 70 years out of it. Now, Moses had gotten more than that. He said, you may get 70, which may be the average type of lifespan. He said, and if you're blessed, you might get 80 if you're doubly blessed. But he says, even if you get 70 or 80 years, how temporary that is. How short that is. Especially when you think about eternity. I mean, it just blows my mind when I try to conceive this, like, I, Lord willing, he's given me uh, 42 years so far. He may give me a few more years. If he gives me 40 more, whatever else. Do you realize how short that is compared to eternity? From everlasting to everlasting of God. And then for us to live for eternity afterwards. Those of us who placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. Moses said this is such a short time. And if you hear what he says, he also says... There are difficulties. He, he says, actually, that their boast, in verse 10, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now, that, that seems so depressing. Again, those of you who got up and you came this morning, you're probably thinking, couldn't you have encouraged us just a little more? You're just saying life is short. Life is tough. It's... It, even if you get 80 years, the boast is, you know what? It was, it was full of toil. It's full of kind of tough moments and, and work. Well, that is the case. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. This takes us back to Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, as a result of the sin of Adam, which we all have shared in, the result is... 
that work itself would be very difficult. It didn't mean that we shouldn't work. In the garden, there was work. Adam had work tending the garden. But things got much tougher when sin came into this world, when it was fallen. And you know what happened? Sin actually impacted the creation itself. There was a cosmic transformation that occurred because of sin. That's how radical the consequences of sin. Because the Bible says all of a sudden you got thorns and thistles, remember? You didn't have that in the garden. You didn't have a Hurricane Laura in the garden. You would have never had a tornado in the garden. What are you saying, Reggie? I'm saying that we live in a fallen world because of the collective nature of sin and what sin has done to us. And when we're reminded of these things, we're reminded of sin. Well, I think that it was obviously providential last week that I received an email from a Sunday school director asking a question on behalf of their Sunday school class. Some of the Sunday school members may be here. But the question was posed to me and to a couple other ministers, who controls the weather? That was about two weeks ago. Because they had been studying the passage of where Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and he had spoken peace to the wind and the wind had of course subsided. But the word there said that Jesus rebuked the wind. And the idea of rebuke, they believed, had the idea that maybe Satan had something to do with that weather. So this was my answer. A very well thought out theological answer. Thanks to my training at New Orleans Seminary. I said, first of all this. God is sovereign over all things. God never relinquishes control of anything at any time. God's always in control. So don't miss it. He's, he's always in control. He is the great God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. There is no one else like him. But he does permit some things. One, he permitted Adam to make the choice he made. And because of that, the consequences of sin has been felt. And just as I said a moment ago, it has even impacted our climate. It's impacted the weather. People, it's hard, to, it's hard to grasp this though, isn't it? But that is what sin has done. Sin has wrecked every area of our lives. That's what sin does. And sin has set off this great creational change, this cosmic transformation. And what has happened, we have things like this today because of the collective nature of sin. Now, I'm not saying it's because of your sin. You're, you're saying, well, you saying we got hit, Louisiana got hit because of our sin, our personal sin. We did something wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Now, I believe we've done some things wrong. This guy's done some things wrong. We've all committed sin. But I'm talking about the fallen nature, the collective nature, that because we live in a fallen world, we see things like Hurricane Laura. Because when sin is removed and we're before the presence of Christ, guess what? You will never hear another hurricane named. Because all of those things will be removed. I say God is sovereign, but because we live in a sinful world, we see difficulty like this. And yes, I will say that when I look at the passage where Jesus rebukes the wind, it is almost like there's a demonic force coming against Jesus and his disciples in that passage. Hey, 
God never relinquishes control, but he does permit. He does allow Satan to come and to bring certain trials and challenges. You don't think so? Look at the book of Job. Somebody texted me the other day and said, I guess we're in a good shape. We've been reading Job lately. I said, well, I guess God was preparing you and getting you ready. Because God will allow Satan to come. Look, I, I'm about to the point in 2020 to think that he's letting Satan do a lot of stuff. And more and more, I believe there are challenges, whether it's been COVID or Laura or whatever else, that's coming against the people of God that's trying, that's really trying to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church because he is the great God. He always has been and he always will be. And while we recognize our frailty, we know that he is the great one. And what we can do is through this is, is, is say, God, teach us to number our days. God, help us to realize this, that living for now is not the ultimate goal for any believer. God did not intend for you to live for the now. He intended for you to live for eternity. Now, it affects the way you live now. But the goal is eternity. How are you touching eternity right now? All these things around us, they're temporary. But how are you going to touch eternity there in the classroom? How are you going to touch eternity in your workplace? How are you going to make a difference for the Lord Jesus? Because when it's all said and done, He is, we are not. How are we making an impact how are we saying God teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom? You know, God can allow these things to happen in our lives. And he can even allow Satan to bring his challenges. But what God wants to do is to teach us through these moments. Do you know that God can bring pain to our lives in order to use us more effectively? A.W. Tozer used to say that it is doubtful that God could use a man mightily until he has injured him or wounded him deeply. In other words, God allows us to go through pain in order to teach us and to show us what is important and how we should live from day to day. God wants to use these moments to teach us. It's a rather lengthy illustration but it is an illustration that was spoken many years ago. Actually, Samuel Rutherford said, Thank God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. As he was writing through, he said, Thank God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. And then Tozer picked up on that thought. And he helped us understand. So I want to share just a little bit. I, I don't usually read too much, but I want to read this to you because it really impacted me. I read it to Leslie last night trying to get a little bit of her feedback. Really couldn't tell whether it was good or not. So hopefully you'll, you'll get this illustration. The hammer, the file, and the furnace. The hammer is a useful tool, according to A.W. Tozer. The hammer is a useful tool, but the nail if it had feeling and intelligence, could present another side of the story. 
For the nail knows the hammer only as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight and clench it into place. That is the nail's view of the hammer. And it is accurate except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the same workman. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman and all resentment toward it will begin to disappear. The carpenter decides whose head shall be beaten next and what hammer shall be used in the beating. That is his sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and has gotten a little glimpse of his benign plans for its future, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. Oh, but the file. The file is more painful still. For its business is to bite into the soft metal, scraping and eating away at the edges till it has shaped the metal to its will. Yet the file has, in truth, no real will in the matter, but serves another master as the metal also does. It is a master and not the file. It is the master and not the file that decides how much shall be eaten away, what shape the metal shall take, and how long the painful filing shall continue. Let the metal accept the will of the master, and it will not try to dictate when or how it shall be filed. And finally, the furnace. As for the furnace, it is the worst of all. Ruthless and ravage. It leaps at every combustible thing that enters it and never relaxes its fury till it has reduced it to shapeless ashes. All that refuses to burn is melted to a mass of helpless matter without will or purpose of its own. When everything is melted that will melt and all is burned that will burn, then and not till then the furnace calms down and rests from its destructive fury. And what Rutherford said was, thank God for the hammer. Thank God for the file. Thank God for the furnace. Because what happens is, God uses these things. It's hard to see it. Some of you feel like a nail lately and the hammer's been beaten down. And it's hard to see that hammer is something positive. But when you remember the hammer is in the hand of the great carpenter, you recognize that the carpenter has your best interest and he is using you to be able to create something that only he can and something he wants to accomplish in your life. It feels like you're being filed from time to time. You're that soft metal and that, I mean, that file is biting. It is difficult. Or maybe you feel like you're in the furnace. I again say 2020 feels like some of us have been in the furnace. But God uses all those things, even pain itself, to teach us. To teach us to number our days. To recognize, hey, we're not going to live forever. We're not going to live forever. The statistic is one out of one die. One out of one will die. Every one of us. I love the way Tony Evans said it. Tony Evans said, it, we're all kind of like a coin. You get a, or life is like a coin. You get a choice of how you spend it, but you only get one opportunity to spend it. You can spend it, 
You get one, what will you do with it? God, teach us to number our days. Because you are great, we are not. This is that third truth I'd give you. Since God is great, we are not. We need a great God. We need him. Since we're not and he is, that means we need him and we need him desperately. And look at what the last few words Moses will speak. In verse 13 he says, return, O Lord. Notice same language where Moses had said God looks at us and he says return. Basically in the idea that one of these days we'll return to dust. Our physical bodies will. But here he comes and he says, God, what we pray is you will return. Return, O Lord. How long? And have compassion on your servants. See, we need him because we are indeed sinful and we have messed up and we are frail and we're only temporal. I mean, back in verse 7, Moses had made it very personal. He was kind of talking about God and he was talking about uh, the individual nation here in very third term phrases. But then he says, God, you know who we are. You know us and our sin. So then he cries out in verse 13 and he says, have compassion on us. God, you're a great God. We're not. We need you. We need the compassion that goes along. He says, oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all your days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. He basically says there, God, would you give us the same number of days of gladness as you have the days of affliction? God, we've gone through difficulty. We've gone through the, the life itself. But God, would you give us gladness? Would you show compassion? Because you're a great God. You're a wonderful God. And we need you to show compassion. And God, we just need some gladness. We need some joy. You ever, you ever just get that point, God, I just, I just need some joy. I mean, all the things that we see around us, we need gladness and mercy and compassion. He says, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, we need you. We just need you. And we need you to establish our hearts and our lives. We need compassion. We need goodness. We need gladness. He just says, we just need you. I've said before in the last few weeks, if anything this year has taught us, it is how much we need him. How little we can do ourselves. It seems so out of control sometimes for us. And it is out of control. For who in this place could truly control the COVID outbreak? Or COVID? We do things. Don't get me wrong. We wear masks. We do. But who, who here has stopped the COVID pandemic? How many of us the other day stopped the wind when it was blowing in such a mighty way? You know what? None of us. Why? Because none of us could. Because when you go through a pandemic, when you go through a plague, when you go through a storm, you realize, I can't do this. 
I need him. And God, I think, is putting us in a position, maybe reminding us as a church, for too long, I think the American church has, re- has really depended upon buildings and finances and all those things. And we think we're so good because of all of the things that we have. Folks, all of these things are temporary. What we need is an everlasting God. And we need His compassion. We need His grace. And I would encourage you, if anything that COVID and Laura and all these things have taught us is that we need Him and we need to cry out to Him. So this day, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you as a church, if you just cry out to Him. Maybe you're watching on live stream. Just cry out. Just, just use the formula. Just use that formula that Moses did. You don't have to come up with all the words. You might want to even pray through the words and use it if you want to. Sometimes it's nice to pray, pray Scripture. And you might want to use that as your prayer. But maybe you just want to say these three things. God, you are great. God, we're not. God, we need you. We need you. Because we need God's healing touch. We need him to bring peace to the desperate and to the difficult. We need him. We need him desperately. And it is time for us as believers. Let me say, it is past time for us as believers to be on our knees and crying out to him and say, God, we need you. Have compassion. Give us gladness. Help us as we seek you. That's my heart. That is the heart of Moses. And I pray that today we would claim it and we would seek him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for this day. God, in the midst of the storm, we praise you. God, in the storm's aftermath, we still praise you. Because, yes, God, you are great. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And none of us compare. We are frail. We are weak. We are temporary. And this life, even as the day passes... We know that we are marching toward eternity very quickly. But God, up until these moments, up until that time, I pray that you would teach us. Teach us through the pain. Help us to number our days. Give us wisdom. And Father, I pray that we would cry out to you today. That we would cry for compassion. We'd cry for gladness and joy again. And God, that we as your people would be obedient to repent and return to you because we know if we return to you, you return to us. That's what your scripture says. We ask it now. In Jesus' name. Amen.